to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? Another week, another two episodes of The Last Dance, some more Michael Jordan talk. Excited to get back into it. How are you doing? Doing pretty well, man. You know, we're still uh, kind of deep in the um, kind of quarantine zone, but we still have this documentary um, just still delivering on a lot of fronts. So we'll totally break down episodes uh, five and six. Um, but before we do some housekeeping notes, you can always catch us, our show on many uh, streaming platforms, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher soon coming to Google Play and Pandora. So basically anywhere you listen to audio will be on there. So please check us out and please interact with the show by either giving us an email at triple double podcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at triple double podcast. Just type that in there. Um, you'll get um, just tips, not tips, but just, I guess, um, uh, notifications of future episodes, as well as just some um, other notes from us um, right after um, the documentary is over. Um, we'll continue our podcast as we discussed earlier. So uh, please check us out. Um, so let's just get into it, man. Um, episode five picks up immediately at the all-star game. Um, of Jordan's final season and it's Jordan's uh, final all-star game. And it picks up with him versus Kobe. That's the setup. And with all previews I heard on podcast, it was supposed to be the Kobe show. I thought for, I, I don't know, at least somewhat of the episode, I was a little bit disappointed overall with the Kobe coverage. I liked it. I enjoyed everything I saw. But in terms of, I don't know, encompassing the entire episode, I was expecting a little bit more, maybe. I don't know. Am I just kind of caught up in a moment considering Kobe's passing? Or um, was do you think they should have spent more time on it? Well, it, it was a big moment. I mean, again, like kind of touching on what we talked about last week, it was, it was one of those few moments where we almost get this sense of Jordan being able to pass the torch to kind of the next generation of NBA players. And that's really the main moment that we get is, is this all-star game between Jordan and Kobe. Um, I mean, I'm with you. I think a lot of things that we're seeing, a lot of things we talked about last week, and a lot of things that we're going to get into this week, it's kind of like the series just gives you a little bit of a taste of it. And then what's very good are the interviews. I think that's the, the best thing of the documentary, which you would expect. But I think Jordan continues to be surprisingly candid about everything that comes up. And I think you're right. I mean, the best part was the Kobe clip where Kobe talks about fans interacting with him and asking him the question of, hey, you versus Jordan, one-on-one. And he says, hey, slow it down. You have to realize that what you got from me came from him. So really, really, Kobe pays homage to him. Uh, I think, it, you know, it was it's like one of those, like, mini appetizer desserts, you know, where you get, you get like, a small taste and you want more, but uh, but they just move right on into the next topic. Yeah, you know, this reminds me of, Matt, you're a big uh, comic book fan, and you enjoy watching those movies. This this is like the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. It reminds me a lot of that, but watching mm. all the documentaries, this is kind of the end point. Just, you know, with 
the 30 for 30s, like Bad Boys and the Dream Team documentary that came out on NBA TV and the Soul Man documentary that discusses um, the whole Nike uprising with Michael, just the Robin documentary, the Pacers documentary with Reggie Miller, the 1992 documentary with Magic, even, you know, they did a whole, what, five or six part series on the Lakers versus Magic. Like, this is kind of leading all up to that. Um, yeah. It, I just feel like, because they touch on all these different things, and this is kind of the culmination of every one of those documentaries. So I think that's the way I mean, kind of think of it overall, because I had super high expectations. I mean, I think listening to our analysis on our previous episodes, you may think I I really don't like these documentaries. I this documentary so far, I don't. I'm really enjoying it. At the same time, my expectations were just at such a high level that I think what I'm seeing so far, it's stuff that we've, we've discussed, Matt, this stuff we already kind of know if you follow the, the, the story of Michael and the Bulls. Um, and one thing throughout this documentary, I want to ask you, man, because we'll get into the minutia of all the things that were discussed in episode five, but are you happy that this documentary is from basically Michael's point of view, like he's kind of the nucleus of this documentary and that you don't really see anybody else hogging the spotlight. Like it's almost from a point of view of Michael and it evolves about Michael. I mean, my sense with this documentary is that this is going to be about the entire Bulls team. That's what made me be excited because we've seen, heard Michael. Um, but at the same time, it just seems like the focus, I don't know, it's, it's a catch-22 because I love, like you're saying, Matt, I love the candid interviews. I love his opinions. I love the cursing. I love him drinking the tequila. I love him smoking the cigar. I love all of it. At the same yeah. time, I just feel like hearing other stories from players that weren't really well-known at the time, Horace Grant, B.J. Armstrong, Paxson, Kukoc, Um, I would just love to hear more from them, from their perspective, being Michael's teammate. I don't know. I might be in a minority I think you're, I, I feel very similar to you. I, I think I, you know, we posted actually a link to a New York Times article uh, that was titled, Is Michael Jordan Playing Defense with the Last Dance? And it talked about how Jordan's um, production company has its hand in this documentary. And that's basically how we're getting this footage is that Jordan's production company, so essentially Jordan, is going to have a say in what gets aired. So even though we are getting more and the curtain's being pulled back a little bit more on that era, it's really all stuff that is designed to make us think like any type of fault that we see in Jordan in this documentary kind of builds on that narrative of, oh, Jordan is such a great competitor, such a legendary competitor. So you could say like, yeah, it's not a great look for him to be gambling or going into Atlantic City during the playoffs, but they're spinning it in a way that's, oh man, Jordan just, his whole life was a competition. Even someone interviewed says that. Everything with Jordan was a competition. They've said that several times. So I think I do like seeing the Jordan interviews because really since his retirement and through the like early um, and mid-2000s and, and him becoming an owner in the league, we, we just don't really hear from him uh, all that much anymore. Uh, I mean, there was one 
article, um, I'm blanking on the writer's name, so I apologize for that, but there was one article that looked into kind of Jordan's life. Uh, Wright Thompson, I believe, had an article in ESPN, the magazine that looked at Jordan's life as an owner. And that's really some of the only content that I feel that we've gotten on Jordan. So I do think it's great to hear these interviews from Jordan. I think he's he's been great in showing his his feelings and being candid, uh, like we talked about. Um, but you're right, it, it does feel like in each segment, it's almost like when, when you first told me and, and when we were looking at the trailer and we saw this was going to be a 10-part series, I thought, oh man, this, this is going to be too long. They're going to have, they're going to have way too much time to fill with this. And now that we're actually in the episodes and we see like they spend maybe five minutes on the Portland finals and how Jordan destroyed Clyde Drexler, it's really, you realize, oh man, maybe they should have done <laughs> 16 episodes on this, make this like a whole series so we could get more of that feedback that you mentioned you're looking for. It's true. Like it's it's a thing where you so far I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't see Clyde Drexler in that documentary. Um, and yeah. in terms of in terms of the interview, I with Barkley it was wasn't that much. I mean we see we've seen more of Michael um, and of Larry more than you know Charles, and I think that might go with the you know Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley's falling out with their friendship. Um, but I don't know. I just think with the other history stuff paralleling paralleling to the last season, I just feel we there's documentaries out on that material. So my expectation was it to focus on the last season completely, and not just be mm-hmm. like a another Jordan documentary. But this basically is. I mean, don't get me wrong. As a just pure taking my kind of frustrations and bias out of it. I mean, I would say this is the preeminent Jordan documentary. Um, sure. you're, you're getting, you're getting Michael Jordan very raw and very honest about, you know, his opinions on a lot of things, his perspective. And even though it may be biased towards him, I mean, heck, he's, at least he's, he's being, at least we're hearing his opinion, which we didn't hear before. It was very cookie cutter. Like you were saying that you're exactly right. Very guarded, very secretive. Um, and very, very much, I think with these interviews, which we'll get into later, um, dealing with his gambling, it was just nice to see him frustrated with the media, to see him just, I think, aggravated. Um, it was it's nice to, to see that. And I think, honestly, it's really, I think, helped his reputation so far. As we see, he's yeah. a human, he's a human being. It's kind of, it's gone the opposite where he's thought, where he was so worried about his, you know, image and reputation being damaged by this. I think it's, it's done quite the contrary. Yeah, and to your point, just kind of, know add another tag to this i think if you were to not have been told the title to this documentary and just watch it i mean i think to this point through episode six where we are right now i would call this documentary jordan's bulls i wouldn't call it the last dance either (laughs) summed up everything like you said great documentary for michael jordan but when you title it the last dance I mean, basically, the reason it's it's called that so far is that we're getting these flashes into the 98 season, and then it, it immediately will, like after, you know, two or three minutes, it'll jump back to, hey, here's something that was similar, or here's a, 
something from origin to back this up. And then we spend, you know, 15 to 20 minutes in the past to get back to, Hey, here's another little tiny clip of 98. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, some tidbits, um, Kobe was, was very interesting credits. Like you were saying, Matt MJ with the five titles. And I don't know if you caught this, but with Gary Payton and Michael Jordan at the all-star game, it was, um, Jordan that said he hopes he sees them in the finals. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if mm-hmm. that was just him making small talk with Gary Payton, but I don't know if that mm-hmm. was a diss with the Utah jazz. Maybe I'm looking into that too much, but I, I thought that was interesting. Um, they didn't show him mm-hmm. shaking hands with, you know, any of the Utah Jazz. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, I know you had a criticism of the Converse stuff regarding Michael Jordan picking a shoe company, him going with Nike instead of um, Adidas or Converse. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, I think, I mean, uh, I can't remember the 30 for 30 that covered this. Uh, but again, it's kind of the... Same story told again. I think just about any Jordan fan that has looked into his career beyond watching the games knows that he was a big Adidas guy and that's who he wanted to sign with. He's pretty clear about that and they repeated that in the documentary. So, I mean, not again, not a criticism. Like you said, this is something that is certainly in the Jordan story. Uh, but as far as, I mean, what is Jordan signing with Nike, all that much have to do with the last dance on its own. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> very, very little. Um, and I think I saw the documentary, I believe it's called the Soul Man documentary. Excellent documentary yes, on sneakers. Yep. Um, Great so, documentary, yeah. So, worth watching, yeah. worth watching for sure. Agreed. Um, I want to hop into the Dream Team stuff. I thought this was the strength of this episode. Um, yeah. There's already, again, to our point, we're, you know, harping on the same thing, but it's true. There's a documentary on the Dream Team, the NBA TV made, but this was different regarding the practice footage of the 1992 Dream Team. And they put it in some context um, just because, you know, you and I, Matt, we, we remember like it was yesterday, but there are people who might be listening to this that may not know about the Dream Team. I mean, people say the Dream Team was the greatest, you know, team of professional athletes ever assembled. I mean, this was the cream of the crop. I mean, for the exception of really one player, which was Christian Leitner, um, which they touched on it with, you know, Leitner and Isaiah Thomas. You know, this was the creme of the creme in terms of professional sports teams, particularly in the 90s. And it was such a overwhelming, I think, story of that 1992 Olympics that it not only, you know, proved to be such a story for just Olympic basketball, but also international basketball overall in the NBA had a massive impact on international play as um, David Stern was talking about in the documentary. And you see in that, you know, documentary about just the competitiveness of, you know, magic and Larry bird, two guys that were really past or prime, but they're yeah. participating in that. And I just want to ask you, because magic touched on it. Um, just, with Isaiah being on that team because he's done the media tour just with everything going on. If he was on that team, do you think he would have been a massive distraction? Because, you know, those practices would have been had Isaiah in it. And no doubt, I mean, 
it got very heated in those practices, but there was a respect for Michael and Scotty at the end of the day. You know, it's practice, it's over, they got better. But with Isaiah, that's bad blood. Um, I mean, it would have been, you know, what, five guys on one? <laughs> I mean, with all the hate on Isaiah. So do you think that made it be, I mean, you're playing high sides 2020, but do you think Isaiah being on that team would have caused that, that squad to possibly lose the gold medal? Or maybe I'm overreacting. I don't think so at all. I mean, they, they rolled other countries. I mean, you, you know, we have to keep in mind that the other countries, the rest of the world were, I mean, like basically, you know, the best varsity high school basketball playing against the worst state high school basketball C team is, is kind of like what it was um, back then. I mean, the, these countries were, getting blown out by 30 plus points by the dream team. And then after the game come in and asking for their autographs. Uh, and, and that was something that was touched on in that dream team documentary. I really think, you know, I know there was bad blood, but I think having Isaiah on the team, he would have been so outnumbered because none of the other bad boys would have been on the team with him. I guess one thing if, you know, like Lambeer for whatever reason, had been selected for the dream team with Isaiah. And then you have the two of them versus, you know, Jordan and Pippen kind of clashing constantly in practice. Uh, but with how Jordan thrived under competition and all those guys on the dream team, I mean, Larry Legend, there's stories about him, of course, Magic, a fierce competitor. I think they would have fed off of that. And I don't think even if they hated each other, even if Jordan refused to pass the ball to Isaiah and vice versa, there was so much talent on that team that they still would have blown other teams out. Yeah. In my yeah. Opinion. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, they destroyed other teams. I mean, they, their competitors were asking them for autographs before the game started. And then afterwards, I mean, they were just, it wasn't even, it was an honor to get destroyed by them. Um, there was no thoughts of actually dreaming of beating the dream team. I think the closest was, you know, with Croatia, with Tony Kukoc. I mean, they still felt that team took it serious and they still got destroyed. So, um, Well, it's funny because they talk about Kukoc's toughness. Sure. And they get blown out by 33 the first time in that legendary game where Jordan and Pippen just shut him down because Jerry Krause is interested in him mm-hmm. and whatever. And then they talk about Kukoc's toughness and respect to him. And I, I guess, granted, Kukoc had a better performance, and I guess that's the main point. But they lost by 32 in that next visit. So it really it wasn't like the result was a whole lot different. Yeah, I agree. Um, it was good to hear from Tony Kukoc, and hopefully we hear from him more because he was a huge part of that second three-peat. Um, he was one of my favorite players on that second three P team. So hopefully mm-hmm. when we get into the minutia of the playoffs of the the last season there, we hear from him more because I mean, I, I love Steve Kerr, but you know, Tony Kukos was a vital part of that team. Um, especially yeah. with all the drama with, you know, Scotty, you know, being hurt and holding out and Dennis going on his, you know, Vegas bender. I mean, I mean, Kukos was a very vital part of that, that squad as well. So hopefully we hear from him. Um, I want to yeah, talk he was, about he was yeah, one of ahead. these nineties, like small forward power forward combo type players where he, he was one of the first guys I, I remember other than maybe like Sam Perkins 
who was a power forward who was oftentimes going out, stretching the floor and hitting three-pointers. I think he was kind of starting that revolution of almost a, a stretch four type player, even though he's out there much, much less than, you know, someone like a true stretch four, like Dirk Nowitzki, for example. Agreed. But he, yeah. you start to see yeah. the game kind of changing uh, with that last Bulls team. I want to I want to ask you, um, and then we'll move on. Um, why don't you think he gets his due as an international player? I realize he's, I mean, probably not a Hall of Famer in terms of the NBA, but in terms of international players, I feel, I don't know, he doesn't get his respect. I hear him in some circles, but you know, yeah, as a kind of you know, he played on the most famous team in, in, in NBA history. I, I don't yeah. think he gets his due as a pioneer for international basketball. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, I'm not sure. He seems pretty like a low-key guy. Uh, you know, I, I think there is a lot of kind of this um, maybe stoicism with these um, some of these European players, especially uh, you know, these guys from war-torn countries. I mean, look at, like, Vlade Divac is probably one of the more outspoken guys uh, from that type of area. But I think, you know, with with Kukoc, I, I'm not sure at the time in the 90s there was, there was so much pride in American basketball that maybe that's part of the reason he was, he was shut out by the media is that, Somehow, and I know this sounds silly in, in 2020, but somehow if you acknowledge that a European basketball player is great, you're somehow maybe betraying American basketball, which both can be true at the same time, of course, right? Looks like we've lost Matt. We're going to try to get him back. We will see you in a sec. All right. looks like we're back. And Matt, um, did you want to go ahead and just uh, finish your point? Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about Tony Kukoc and why he doesn't get his due. And, and basically the point I was saying before technology failed me <laughs> was uh, that I think, you know, there, were, there was a feeling in the 90s, kind of more national pride in basketball and in Team USA. And I think in a way there was hesitancy for European players or really players, any foreign players coming in and dominating the NBA. So that might have contributed to Tony Kukoc not getting all the accolades that he deserved. Uh, and, and so it's kind of a crazy thought in 2020 and seeing how the game has evolved right now. But I would say that might be some of the reason he wasn't given more praise or was seen as soft, which clearly he wasn't. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think in a, really international basketball wasn't a, a focus upon um, trait to the NBA in the 90s. And I believe we're so American-centric that it, it took a while for the game to expand. I think now the the NBA um, just is such a global game that it's kind of – it's weird just to think it's just sort of a dark ages thinking like this – there's Tony Kukoc, and this guy's just, they're treating him like trash. Like, this is going to be his, the Bulls' teammate, and they're just totally disrespecting him. Um, even the way yeah. that they would talk about him um, is such a, it's such a shame, even playing against him. So, I don't know. I think, I'm sure as 
he proved himself very, very quickly once he got into the NBA, but it was just really slow going. Um, I want to just move on real quick um, to the p- politics of this as well. I thought that was a weird side of this documentary. Um, I saw a lot of feedback on Twitter. Um, the feedback was positive in terms of Michael Jordan not taking a political stand. And really, the origin of this was in the you know election in you know 1990, I believe, was it of a governor? Right, I forgot which state it was. It was uh, Tennessee in North Carolina. Oh, Tennessee. Okay, my bad. Um, it with Jordan. A lot of people still hold a grudge to this day about him not being, you know, a activist, a spokesperson for more political issues. Tiger Woods goes through this all the time. And in this particular segment of the documentary, it it focused on the election. I thought it was somewhat out of place. I think they're trying to relate it to the pressures of being Michael and what he has to go through as such a huge idol to all these people. But I felt like in this part of the documentary, I thought it was kind of weird. Um, I think it would fit more, excuse me, episode six, just because I think it would have grown his maybe disdain for the media and kind of that pressure to always be perfect. But in this episode, it has seemed out of place, but according to Twitter, I might be in a minority. I'm thinking that. No, I think, I think you're right. I mean, it, it showed, Kind of the the first or one of the first at least instances where Jordan was having this external pressure put on him that really had nothing to do with the game of basketball and the lead up into episode six, which I don't know if we want to get into that just yet, but but really, I mean, episode six is is about the pressure of being Michael Jordan. So I think you're right. It, it felt a little weird, a little strange in episode five and also the fact that this happened back in 1990 and you know we we had already gotten past Clyde Drexler and the Portland series of 92 at this point in the documentary yeah you're right the time span was very confusing because you know you had the dream team you had the Clyde Drexler series and now you're focusing on another point back in 1990 I thought it was um, fairly, I don't know, it was very jarring to watch. Um, I appreciated the information, but in terms of the flow of the documentary, um, it, it took me out of it a little bit. Um, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we go to episode six? Um, I think, you know, really the way Jordan handled that pressure, I thought was very smart. And I, I think it is weird to see this expectation of him as a political activist. Um, I mean, of course, celebrities have always, they really, since I believe the 20s or the 1930s, uh, celebrities have always played a role in politics on both political parties. I mean, we, we most often think of celebrities being associated with um, the Democrat Party in, in this day and age, but, but really they've they played a role in, in both political parties. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, it's weird that someone would put pressure on someone to be an activist when maybe, and not to blame Jordan of this or, or accuse him of this or anything, but I mean, really, if someone is not politically active, 
reading up on the issues, forming their own opinion of the issues. I don't think that they should be automatically an activist. Um, so I think what Jordan said is totally acceptable where, when, you know, and this is a quote, he said, I can, I didn't consider myself an activist. I considered myself a basketball player and I'm glad to hear from you because I haven't really been watching Twitter lately, but I'm glad to hear from you that that part of the documentary was received well. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much more criticism of, you know, Jordan as to why he, he wasn't you know, an activist at that time, which which makes sense. He's such a global icon. I understand the kind of resentment towards him. At the same time, if his heart's not in it, then I'm I I think he's serving more harm than good, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I guess we can tr- transition to episode six, and really, I like this episode. Um, this was a lot of focus on Michael Jordan the kind of global icon, the celebrity, the criticism that he had to go through. And really him, you know, the battle within himself really wanted to be a role model and kind of this icon and him wanting to just have fun and just, you know, gamble and just have the freedom just to be himself. And I believe it's amazing because as much as this was a story in the 90s, I just couldn't imagine what would happen if this was the case now. I mean, him gambling in a casino would be all over Snapchat, all over whatever, TikTok, Twitter, any social media. It would just be such a massive deal. Um, I I just want to ask you why, and I guess we don't have to get into a bigger discussion, but in terms of relatedness to Michael, why do you think gambling was so negatively received for Jordan? I mean, if you look at the surface, he's hanging out with his dad. They're going to gamble. They're they're back at one. What's exactly the big deal? As I think Ahmad Bashad said, like he can, or David Aldridge, he can afford it. He can afford to lose $10,000. Um, he's not poor. I mean, why do you think there was such a massive negative stigma towards gambling? Well, again, I think, you know, being like kind of in our generation, we have a different view of gambling, I think, than people had back in the 90s. I think there was a much more conservative view of it, where if you were gambling, you know, you had some sort of a problem or you had your foot in in shady dealings, which, like we see from uh, Slim Bular getting um, put in, you know, getting uh, Jordan has to go in and testify. Um, basically as a part of his trial when he um, gets indicted and and ultimately uh, charged with felonies, I believe, Um, you know, it it was just, um, I think much more under the table and people just have this view of gambling as any type of gambling is shady um, no matter what. And even though there are tons of sports fans at that time who certainly had bookies did sports betting, things like that. And and the stuff Jordan was doing was not, you know, he wasn't Pete Rosing it. He wasn't betting, like, you know, my my Bulls are going to win by 18 or, you know, things like that. Uh, it still, I think, just had a negative light attached to it uh, in the 90s. Gotcha. Um, what was your opinion of Sam Smith's book called The Jordan Rules? Kind of um, pull back the curtain of the Bulls dynasty in terms of, 
you know, Michael Jordan not being the squeaky clean athlete as, you know, he was portrayed in the media previously. Um, what was your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts of Sam Smith being in his documentary a bunch? Um, we know we talked about it earlier, you know, this documentary being approved by, by Michael's people and had being greenlit, but yet he's kind of all over this thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and it, it seems like his interviews in the documentary are, are very mild. He's oftentimes very, very complimentary of Michael Jordan. And I don't think he has anything against Michael Jordan, even at the time that he wrote the Jordan rules. I think he just simply wanted people to know more about this guy that everyone almost unanimously esteemed by the time Dream Team had won their gold medal. Almost everyone unanimously is cheering for this guy. So he just wanted to give the full story. You know, he's, he's a true journalist. He, he wants you to know the full story. Um, I, I think it's interesting having him in the documentary. I think his comments to this point, they've added some insight, but not really a whole lot of controversial, or controversy rather. It's, um, it's been pretty held back. Um, and I do think this is, this is something that's different about those times than it is today. I mean, I, as a kid, I did not read the Jordan rules. Uh, I was too young to read a book like that um, at the time. And so, you know, I, I had this, I mean, through 98 and, and beyond, even through Jordan's wizard era, I had this view of Michael Jordan as, you know, this squeaky clean basketball player role model type of guy. Um, even well after that book was released. So it just kind of shows how, like you mentioned, the social media and gambling, how that would be all over the place. That's true. This day and age, back then, wasn't wasn't like that. But you have finally, with the Jordan rules, something saying, hey, this guy is not a god. This guy, this guy is not perfect. He has these faults. Here, here are the faults. Here are some conflicts from sources within the team. Um, to follow up with that and ask, ask you a question on this, um, what were your thoughts on Horace Grant and kind of that controversy? A lot of people pointed at Horace Grant um, divulging info to Sam Smith uh, about or that he used material that he used for the Jordan Rules book. He says in the Last Dance documentary in episode six, I never snitched on my teammates or gave information to Sam Smith. We were just friends. And then uh, the next person who spoke, I can't remember who gave these comments, but he says it wasn't just Horace Grant. There were other people within the team. What were your thoughts on all of that kind of drama that they, they skid right past? Yeah, um, it was he was the scapegoat. Michael holds him directly responsible. And Horace Grant says he has a very close relationship with Sam Smith. Which is fairly interesting. So it's kind of like a he said, you know, he said type of situation. I, d I don't know enough to really take a side. It's kind of like, you know, they have their both sides against it. It it seems with Jordan, you know, at least with that last season, he was friendly with Horace Grant. So, and I don't know. I don't sense the type of venom that he has, like, towards Isaiah, towards Horace. Um, even though I do think he maybe considers Horace a bit a bit of a traitor, but you know when they're embracing, I was very professional. So it was you know during that game when they played the Magic, I think it was during episode six. I'm not exactly sure. Episode five or six, they were playing the Magic. Yeah, it was six. Uh -huh. They were 
they met at center court and now it's very cordial. So I, I don't get the sense that Jordan Horde holds, holds that much of a grudge, but um, at the, you know, at the same time, people leak stuff. Um, so who knows? And, I, I, yep. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, and ultimately Horace ends up on the magic. He's yeah, not a bull he, anymore. No, it's true. Yeah. He's off the team. And, you know, partly with him, I mean, he, he discussed it. I mean, certainly a lot of the credit went to Michael and Scotty and, you know, and not to him. So, he, you know, being on the Magic was a way to get that revenge. Now, you might ask yourself on the Magic, there's Shaq and there's Penny. So, I mean, it's the same problem. Um, you're not going right. to you're not going to you're not going to be number one in front of those two dudes. So um, but nevertheless, he ends up on there. Um I kind of want to also ask you about, I guess, with Jordan, there's also this air of just him having it easy, right, with the younger generation. They don't feel like he had to really fight to become this icon and that this athlete that we, me and you revere and respect so much. But, yeah, we see that in this series against the Knicks. I mean, you know, they're beating him up. They're struggling. And, you know, he's even having to fight these, you know, gambling allegations, but yet he pulls it out. I thought that was very interesting as well, just because you hear about this Knicks robbery, but you don't really hear kind of the struggle that he had to go through. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's it's good to see. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to say. I mean, how a lot of that struggle is self-imposed like the media sure. sure they they probably over blew the gambling thing a little bit um i'm trying to think there was um this is a, a football example but their um wide receiver from the giants i can't remember his name um he went on like this boat party before a playoff game and he was blasted by the media this was this was just a few years ago uh, for doing that. And there are several examples. I mean, almost every postseason, it seems like, uh, you know, there's there's plenty of examples from James Harden going to like gentlemen clubs in <laughs> certain cities where where he plays basketball um, and, and has even done that in during a playoff series, uh, allegedly. So, I mean, I think it's it's tough on where to put that. I, I do think there is this big thing, and what I think is unfair to Jordan is, hey, you're supposed to be perfect. That's obviously not fair to anybody. But I do think the Atlantic City during a playoff series is not a good look, no matter who you are. Uh, and I understand Jordan's been there before at this point. Jordan has the experience. He has all the pedigree. And it probably should not have been as blown up as it was. So I, I guess, you know, I kind of, and this is maybe a boring take, but I think Jordan could have easily prevented some of that struggle. But I do think it is unfair that the media portrayed him as this perfect golden child for years and then were so disheartened when maybe he does one thing that some people consider to be questionable in gambling. Yeah, um, it's weird because... When I was a kid, I was confused. I'm like, what's the big deal with him gambling? I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> are casinos illegal? 
I when I was just, just kind of the, the younger Justin talking here, I was just I was right. just confused. I didn't understand what, why are people making such a big deal out of this. Um, I think as being an adult, it you're right. I agree with you, Matt. Especially with Michael Jordan being media savvy, he should know. Hey, like the media's gonna be on my case. Eh, we can just gamble in the room. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's Michael Jordan, right? I'm sure you can pull some guys, some dudes up to the room. Go, go gamble in the room. Takes, you know, who's who doesn't want to gamble with Michael Jordan? <laughs> you can find some people in New York that they gamble in your room, right? Instead of going to Atlantic City. Um, so you're you're absolutely right. I think he, his judgment um, could have been a lot better in that situation. At the same time, I have to this whole gambling thing. I never understood it. I don't understand the connection to him gambling on blackjack and him betting on his own team to win i don't unless you have evidence that doesn't make any sense um i think that's just a false correlation um so i don't it just it just seemed kind of weird to me um i want to talk about your the, the sons and i talk about your sons because you're really raving about them in terms of their jersey and it's the team um i'll kind of let you go here um this was the bulls um kind of the ending of their first three-peat um them taking out the the, the sons there um I, re- I remember this team specifically. It was one of my first memories of the Bulls before Jordan retired the first time he played baseball. Um, just hit, seeing John Paxson hit that shot um, and then seeing kind of Charles yeah. Barkley's last kind of moment to shine there. What was your thoughts on this part of the documentary? Well, I mean, again, it is kind of one of those, the way the documentary went about this, they sped through the, the Suns-Bulls series. I mean, they could have shown many, many more highlights from that series uh, because it was a great back and forth between Jordan and Barkley. And and they did show a lot of clips of Barkley and Jordan getting dunks and jumpers and things like that. They quickly mentioned, I I didn't realize before seeing this tonight that Jerry Krause was a big Dan Marley fan. I guess it makes sense with the type of players that, that he had looked at in the past, you know, Marley, you're one of your classic three and D examples uh, type of players. But, um, you know, I, I would have liked to see more about that series and the struggle. There's Bill Simmons has brought up several times on his podcast the story that Ahmad Rashad has told him that Jordan played uh, 18 or 36 holes before game two and, and then went and played. And you can see allegedly that Jordan is pretty sunburnt if you go watch the, uh. Uh, the footage from being out there and playing golf all day uh, on, on game day, not, not just talking the day before we're talking game day out playing golf. I mean, you want to talk about controversy and going to Atlantic city on a rest day, <laughs> playing golf before the game, I, I would say is a much bigger deal in my opinion. Um, but I'm, I apologize. I'm kind of rambling here, but yeah, I think um, this Suns team was, the best opponent that the Bulls had in the finals. Um, you know, I think you could argue maybe that the, the Knicks were a better uh, opponent in their playoff runs up to the finals in this first three-peat. Uh, but, I mean, the Suns could, could go toe-to-toe with the Bulls, and you saw that. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, like Charles Barkley said, you know, he, he just couldn't keep up with Mike he said, there's no shame losing to Mike. We see this as a common theme in, in Michael Jordan's career. We were texting about this before and that he's kind of 
assassinating some of the NBA legends as, as we go along here. Um, you know, he takes out Clyde Drexler that they glossed over real quick in, in the 92 series, Magic before that in 91, and this 93 Phoenix Suns team, you know, was just the next example. I was lucky enough to see this Suns team, I believe, in 94 when uh, they played the Sacramento Kings. I was, I was able to go up to Arco Arena Oh, nice. Sacramento and see KJ and Barkley uh, and all these guys before Barkley ultimately moved on to the Rockets. Um, I mean, a, a great, great team to watch. Fun, could do a lot of things. KJ, very athletic, very fun to watch. One of those cool, like, shorter players, but such a, an athlete. It's really, really fun to watch him uh, use his speed to get to the basket and, and do different things. Um, I mean, one of the the main moments that I remember watching as a child was Jordan hitting that jump sh- shot and then uh, putting both his hands up as he turns around and and runs back to get on defense. Uh, I think that's that's one of those legendary Jordan highlights uh, that's that's always put in his reel. Uh, do you have anything to add about the '93 Suns and, and this final series? Um, not really. Other than what I said, um, I I thought this what we discussed during text was, you know, Barkley's last chance to win a title and it eluded him. And, you know, to this day, you know, Charles Barkley takes so much crap for not winning a title. I mean, this was kind of the origin of it because that you're right. The Suns team was really, really good. And, you know, Jordan dashed those hopes. Um, let, me, yeah, uh, was, let me just yeah, insert one more thing here. Sure. Uh, another, another note I took down uh, was that, Jordan mentions, and I believe this was before the 98, 98 series, uh, Jordan's out playing golf with Ron Harper and a couple of the other Bulls. And he mentions, he says, Phil understands. Phil understands that we need a day off. Phil understands. Um, and he says, most other teams would be running practice right now, but Phil knows that we have our stuff together. And I think it, it was a really quick moment, but they also showed... Phil Jackson in an interview back in 93. And of course he's Jordan's coach, but he talks about the gambling, not being a big deal and saying that Jordan is a professional. You know, he's going to be ready for this playoff game. And it's, it's not really a big deal that he went to Atlantic city. So I think you just see another layer real quick and they didn't touch on this much, but I, I thought it was another piece of info that shows us why Jordan eventually says, you know, I want to play for Phil Jackson and nobody else. If Phil's not back, I'm not back. Well, it's a lot like the Rodman thing, right? You know, Phil Jackson right. can't relate. Free spirit. So um, it makes sense why he would back Michael. Um, it totally does. And that aspect is recreational activity. And also, you know, gets his mind loose. You're not, I mean, he's such a, you know, vicious competitor. It kind of gets those juices out in another way so he doesn't have to think about basketball. Um so I think it's probably, you know, encouraged that he did that. Um, I think before we wrap, I want to ask you, Matt, um, we're about halfway through, more than halfway through. We got like four more episodes to go. Uh, I guess, what are your overall thoughts of the doc so far? Do you think it's lived up to kind of the hype so far? Or do you think you've been a little disappointed? What is, what's your vibe and feeling of this? Because so far online has been overwhelmingly positive, but I can see watching this again in a year, it might be looking through this documentary through rose-colored glasses because of the circumstances we're in. 
Yeah, I think people are so hungry for content right now that uh, this is it's going to be hard for this not to be seen in a positive light. I will say, you know, it's it's tough to use the word disappointed in this because I love seeing this documentary and, and going through these moments in history again. But I'll just quickly allude back to what we said, that this documentary really to this point still, in my opinion, is Jordan's Bulls and not The Last Dance. We're getting a nice summary with Jordan's production team of look how great Jordan was on the Bulls. Here's a lot of the stuff, a lot of the drama that you didn't know about or maybe you just didn't focus on back then that shows starting, I think, to build up a case to why Jordan retired at first. Uh, so I think, I guess I am a little disappointed in the sense that I would say at least conservatively 80% of this documentary, I know the info that they've presented. Uh, I think the huge positives, like I said earlier, the Jordan interviews, very candid, very good. I think that's been the best part of the series so far. I think some of the, the internal political things have also been the strength of this documentary. So uh, the 1990 campaign and the controversy behind Jordan not supporting Gantt in that outright, although he did say financially he did support him. Uh, and then the stuff that we got in episode six about life being Jordan, you see him gambling with some of the United Center staff, things like that are great. I'm hoping that we get more, more and more raw, more and more 98 season footage. And they, they kind of exit episode six leading into the 98 round one series, Bulls versus Nets. So I do think I have to reserve some judgment until we get a little bit more. But all in all, so far, I'm a little disappointed, even though I like it, I enjoy watching this. What are your yeah. thoughts so far? Me too. I feel the same way. Um, again, it's just, you know, the Avengers were out last this time, about this time last year, and it had super duper high expectations, and they met them and someone exceeded them. So I had the, the same of this documentary. I mean, we had two years of hype waiting for this documentary, um, despite all these circumstances. And I think so far, I can safely say it has not lived up to the hype for me. Um, just taking my biased of loving this team and you know going back a 90s memory lane um now i'm loving every second of watching this right i'm enjoying it but in terms of how they proceeded to organize this documentary i'm safely to say i rather have this just focus on the last season more footage yeah, like funny. i want as much as footage as possible focusing on the final season of michael jordan as a bull um, every nugget I want, you know, I want everything. I want as much footage as possible and seeing, you know, his struggle as a role model, as a political activist. I don't care about that in his documentary. I don't, um, the, the overall conversation about Michael Jordan as, you know, him standing up for social issues, that's going to be for another time. But yeah. for this documentary, um, I, I want to see candid stories. I want to see him, you know, struggling to win his last championship him struggling to you know go off into the sunset you know all this footage every time they go to the um, final season and did they discuss um they have a clip of you know watch right now i'm watching the documentary again here they're showing it him and patrick ewing in the locker room and his final game in madison square garden um just as a in a regular season just seeing him just stuff like that 
Um, that's what I want to see in this stuff. More front office drama too. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I don't. I rather just save that for maybe another documentary down the line. Um, but in the yeah, turn of this last season, I I want to focus primarily on the front office drama. You know what Scotty's going through, what Michael's going through, what Phil Jackson is going through, and kind of yeah. what the city of Chicago is going through, rather than trying to encompass you know kind of this history of the early '90s um, kind of dynasty. Because really, even the chatter from last episodes wasn't about the you know, the footage. It was about Isaiah and Michael. And about the bad yeah. boys Pistons versus them, which we've kind of rehashed this already. <laughs> here we had our own documentary. So, I mean, right. this last dance focus, the primary focus was on this final season, not rehashing a robbery from the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I think you're spot on, man. I think if this had been like a three-part series even, rather than a 10-episode series, but we like condensed all this and just put it towards what you just mentioned. I, I think this fits the title of The Last Dance a lot better than it is right now. I mean, as, as we've kind of said a few times now. Agreed. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add, man, before we wrap up? No, man, I, I think we're good. Thank you all for listening up to this point. Let us know your thoughts. Join the conversation in Facebook or Give us any feedback. Shoot us an email, triple double podcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Facebook. We'd love to engage in, in some dialogue about this now that, that we've been six episodes in already. Feel free to reach out, join the conversation with us. For sure. And you can do that um, by three ways. Evil by email, triple double podcast at gmail.com, typing in triple double podcast on Facebook. And we are at um, at trip dub podcast on Twitter as well. You can always catch us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms as well. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum, and we will talk to you next time.